Perhaps one of the most high-profile tech challenges in government over the past decade was the development of the healthcare.gov health insurance exchange website. Part of the team that came to save the site was Greg Gershman, who then founded AdHoc, a software design and engineering company. As CEO, Greg discusses the importance of private-public partnerships to deliver solutions that make government work. Greg, thanks for joining us on GovCast today. Nice to have you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. What kind of work does AdHoc do? So AdHoc is a digital services company. So we work with the federal government. We focus on areas where the government has some kind of service that it provides to people. And we work to work with the government to make that service as efficient, as user-friendly, intuitive, and as scalable as possible. Your early career had a lot to do with search-related roles as I understand it. What does that entail exactly? Early on in my career, I actually started with a graduate school class. I took in information retrieval, kind of learning about the technology behind search engines. Yeah, I, I just started building search engines, found some software that was really made the process really simple. And so started looking for you know things that I could do and built a company out of that or a product and then did some consulting for years and just helping people organize and find information. Cool. And one of those was something to do with an aggregator for videos and audio. Does that include the early stages of what podcasts blew up to be as we know it today? Yeah, actually. Uh, so I think it was like early 2000s, I think maybe like 2003 or 2004, something like that. So at the time, there was a brand new technology called RSS. I don't even know if people know it. Does, is that still a thing? I don't like. I at least know what that yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> so your podcast probably has like an RSS feed and that's how it gets into Apple and other places, the iTunes. At the time, this was brand new. I'm probably dating myself a little bit. But so I built a search engine that crawled all the RSS feeds for blogs. And this actually was before podcasts were a thing, really dating myself. So you pulled in all this content off of RSS feeds, mostly blogs and things like that and created a search engine so people could come to our site, type something in, and find out the latest blog posts that were talking about certain topics. I wasn't the only one to do this. There were other people that did this. But at the time, it was different because search engines like Google and Yahoo were all based on relevance. So you know, when you went to Google and you typed in a term, you got the most relevant content. So if you typed in government CIO, you would get government CIO's homepage because um, it's the most relevant source about government CIO. Or if you typed in ad hoc, if we had existed then, something like that. On our search engine and various other search engines at the time that kind of did the same kind of thing, if you typed in a term, you got the most recent results. So the things that people were talking about right now. And so it was, it was a, I think, a different view into the web. And it was started, it's really at the start of like that social media before Twitter, before podcasts. But blogs were really, I think, kind of like the first, um, you know, the first version 1.0 of social media kind of thing. So it was just a different kind of thing. But that helped me learn about search and the technologies and led me towards spending probably about five or six years just kind of building search engines for different kinds of things. Wow. Okay. And I know SEO was it, it is a big thing in digital services. Is that related to that? Websites generally think about search engine optimization. And so the search engines on our side, so we're pulling the content from the websites and indexing it through the RSS feeds. There wasn't really a way to, I guess you could optimize on certain keywords or things like that, but search engine optimization is typically like, what can a website do to get like better positions in Google search, you know, those kinds of things. And it wasn't a big thing. I mean, at the time, blogs were like a good way to 
Google started indexing blogs in, I want to say, 2004, 2005, and they would index them more frequently than, you know, like a homepage for, let's say, a website that didn't update as frequently. So that was that was a good way to, like, get your stuff in Google faster at the time. Yeah. What have you learned from your time in the private sector that informs how you approach working with the government today? Yeah, I, I spent most of my career working in the private sector, um, you know, as a software engineer, actually, you know, for the first 15, 16, 17 years of my career was a software engineer. And I worked in lots of different companies. I found my places as a software engineer, found what kinds of environments I liked as a software engineer and really worked in companies where there was a culture around software development and engineering, you know, a culture of what's the best process, what's the best technology to use, essentially, how do we use our skills to overcome problems in as efficient and elegant a way as possible. So some companies I worked at had great environments that really fostered that and were challenging and invested in their culture and employees. And other companies I worked at didn't. And so I think that was really, for me, you know, as a software engineer, it was like finding that right environment, finding the right community where there's always new things to learn, always new approaches to take to things. So finding that right environment in the private sector, I think, was really important for me. I worked for probably about 10 years. And, you know, some environments were good. Some environments were not good. Even like a little later in my career, I worked in an environment which had a totally different kind of take on software development. It changed a lot of my perspective on different things. So I think it's one of the things that's neat about companies is that they can create these engineering cultures, if it's software development or whatever the technical competency is. But I think those things are really, really important. It's one of the things that was really important to me in founding my own company was, you know, making sure that we had the right kind of culture to do what it is that we, you know, we wanted to do. I think of us first and foremost, both me and my co-founder of Ad Hoc are software engineers. I say I was a software engineer. He is still a software engineer. He's our chief technology officer. You uh, kind of just run the show now. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I do whatever needs to get done. And we have a lot of software engineers, so it's very infrequent that what needs to get done by me is software development at this point. That was really important for us in founding the company was to really create that really strong engineering culture. And I think that's really a part of who we are as we've you know, kind of branched out into other areas, product management, design, user experience research, we've also brought that in and made that part of our culture. So that's been you know, just a really important thing that I've learned in working in various different places and what I wanted to build in my own company. So that jumps into the next question about recruitment. Where do you see the value in some of those efforts that you outlined? You know, Much of the talk that we hear in government is, how to reskill the workforce to deal with some of the new and especially emerging technologies that they're looking at. How is ad hoc approaching that from a technology point of view? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Really, I, I can't emphasize enough how important culture is, I think, in terms of a company, how it recruits people, how it builds a team, and what kind of values you have and, and how you set that culture. It's actually been, I mean, for me, I worked in companies as a software developer early in my career. For a good bulk of my career, I was an independent consultant and worked with a lot of different companies, but was kind of outside the organizational structure. So ad hoc is really my first, you know, it's the longest job I've ever had. I've been doing it now for five years. It's, I've never had a job that's lasted that long. One of the th big things that I've learned in doing this is the importance of that culture um, and how just hiring is really crucial. Um, and this is, uh, you know, anyone who, you know, you 
hear anyone talk about starting a company and you know that kind of thing. They talk about how important culture is, and you have to have intentional and uh, hiring practices so that you build the right kind of team. But I've just really kind of been blown away about how you know important that is and how like to really you know just focus in on that and make sure you're building something that you want and building it in the right direction. So when you talk about government, I mean, government has changed a lot. There's a whole new set of, of skills that were not traditional parts of the government employee base, right? So a lot of the, the software and IT related stuff. And I think that's a really important thing for government agencies to think about is how they can build that culture, you know, as they change, what are the needs that they're going to have in five years, 10 years, and to look at how they can develop a culture and an environment that will create a challenging, exciting, engaging atmosphere for people to come and work at, because that's how you get quality people, right, is you, you challenge them, you engage them, and you, you find interesting things for them to work on. So understanding your strengths, and government has a tremendous amount of strength, you know, in terms of its mission and the things that it does for people, you know, marrying that with the right kind of engineering culture, if that's what you're focused on, if you're focused on other things, product management, I think those kinds of things are very important for government, becoming more and more important for government great things for it to focus in on building culture around. Do you think that's where maybe a government IT contractor can contribute in that sense instead of government trying to start from scratch? Yeah, I personally think that's one of the big value adds that vendors have to government traditionally. I think you know it's very focused on defining policies for programs and then charged with carrying out the service, a service that's provided to people. But as time has gone on, those things have changed. The expectations of people on the outside, the people using those services have changed. And it's very difficult to build an organization that can adapt to those kinds of things on the scale that we're talking about, right? Like there aren't that many companies that last as long as government agencies have been around, right? And and so it's a really hard, challenging thing. And I think one of the areas where vendors can really come in and be um, be a real value add and be a really great sort of like force multiplier for government certainly was, I think, a real motivation in, you know, for us in founding the company. My partner, Paul, and I had worked very closely with the government on healthcare.gov when it had rolled out. And, you know, we got to see a lot of how that had been had been done just based on our experience we took a step back and said there's a lot here that we would have done differently just based on our experience in the kinds of environments we had worked in consumer internet space and the private sector the open source community we thought hey there's something here that we could offer that might be beneficial and so we decided to build a company that that did that kind of thing and and i think that that is really important i mean i a lot of government contractors are government contractors because their core competency is getting government contracts. They can write a good proposal and like win a bid, but they just kind of do whatever is on the other side of that contract once they get it. I think it's really important for government to look for partners or vendors that, you know, that are intentional about what kind of company they're building. What are the things that they do that they have experience with that they can offer that could really write like provide government the things that it needs to accomplish its mission. Um, so for us, that was, you know, building these, you know, consumer facing digital services, these web based applications. That's what we spent all of our careers doing. So that's what we thought, hey, we're going to we're going to offer that to government. That's going to be our thing. That's how we're going to help out. I think government puts it out to the market and says, here are the things that we need. And I think those kinds of things will hopefully 
evolve, you know, that the market will hopefully bring those things forward. Sometimes the market needs a little push <laughs> this way or that, but uh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the work that you did with what I understand to be called MyGov or Project MyUSA. Was that kind of the yeah. early beginnings of healthcare.gov? Didn't have anything to do with healthcare.gov directly. My involvement with it led to my involvement with healthcare.gov. But yeah, so in 2012, there was a new. The White House created a new program called the. Uh, Presidential Innovation Fellowship Program. It was a brand new program, very involved with the uh, Office of Science and Technology Policy of the White House. GSA was very involved, the General Services Administration, as well as, you know, a lot of other government agencies. And basically what they said is we want to get people from outside of government, bring their ideas into government, you know, their skills and experience and work on uh, innovative solutions to problems. At the time I was a software developer, I was working as a as an independent consultant, and one of my customers happened to be the General Services Administration. So I was working on a program called search.gov. I thought it was maybe one of the best jobs I'd ever had in my life. It was great. I was working with a very small team. And the reason why I thought it was so great, I had a previous experience in my career, which I had worked for a large defense contractor at a large government agency. And it was the worst experience of my career. It was a very bad, when we talk about culture, that experience earlier in my career had really turned me off to working in a government environment, just because I didn't know if it was the government agency that I was involved with, or it was the contractor that, uh, the, you know, the, the vendor that I was working for. Um, but it just, I didn't feel like you know, as a group, as a as like a team, we had like a philosophy, a direction. It just felt very unorganized and very unprincipled. And so I just felt like that wasn't for me. And I spent almost a decade working in the private sector until I found this project at gsasearch.gov, which had a really great team. There was a, a developer there who I worked with who I learned a ton from. He was senior to me and taught me a lot. I really enjoyed working on that program. So if you're not familiar with search.gov, it provides a search engine. This is my search engine experience led to this. It provides a search engine for any government website. So if you're any .gov website, Federal, state, local, tribal, you can go to search.gov, sign up, you know, so it's great. It saves the government a ton of money and it provides a great service. Every government website needs to have a search engine on it, right? It's a really great service. I loved working for it, but I was really excited by the fact that this was like a small team using open source software, using agile software development. These are all things that I had come accustomed to in the private sector in my work with startups and commercial internet kinds of companies. And my experience in government had been different, very different in the past, had been very different. I wanted to see, like, is there a way I can make every government project look like this one, like search.gov? So when I saw this announcement that they were they wanted to bring in people from outside of government into government to work on innovative projects, I said, this would be a great opportunity for me to see, to learn more and see if there's a way, you know, that we could do this. So that was why I applied to be a Presidential Innovation Fellow. I was very fortunate to be selected. And so I was on this team with the GSA, uh, with the General Services Administration and the White House as sort of like my government partners. And our charter was to reimagine how people interacted with government online, which was like a very, very broad charter, right? It's very, there's lots of different directions you could take that. Because of my, you know, my background and, you know, kind of my excitement about how government could build applications, digital services more efficiently, part of what we did as, it was originally called Project MyGov. There was some kind of like trademark dispute, so we changed the name to MyUSA. 
But so we looked at a number of different things. We built a single sign-on for all of government. So the idea was, you know, you'd have a single account for all your government interactions. We were targeting federal, but we thought, you know, maybe even state and local could eventually come under this umbrella. I now realize like how like that was a very ambitious kind of thing to try with uh, five people and six months worth of time. That work eventually kind of, you know, well, things came of it down the road. We also built the other idea that we essentially had was if you're familiar with Facebook and Facebook has a platform that you can build applications on the Facebook platform, right? So, you know, you can it's a lot of usually it's like games or quizzes or things like that. But, you know, there's apps that you can make a part of leverage all of the information that Facebook has about people. You can find out their, you know, their name, where they live, their friends, things like that. So there's a platform that you can build social applications with. So our idea was very similar, make a platform for applications in government, something that would make the creation of new services very simple for government to do. That was the idea behind My USA, was to provide all these various different services, lower the cost of creating new applications, and get a consistent experience across, you know, let's say, all the different federal agencies. The big problem that we identified is that because of the way government is structured by like different agencies that are broken up by their different missions, the interactions that people have with government is very much divided by the bureaucracy, right? By the way the, the agencies are structured. What we thought was people don't think about government that way. They just think of it as government, right? In fact, if you go to USA.gov, the federal government, you know, information center, the number one search term, do you want to guess what the number one search term is on USA.gov? Let's see, what what buzzword can I think of today? How about innovation? <laughs> no, no, actually. So it's think about it in terms of like government things that government provides. Taxes. <laughs> so that's a good guess. That's, and that's actually up there. But the number one search is for driver's license. No way. And USA.gov is a federal website. The, the federal government does not issue driver's licenses, right? Those are administered by the state. But it just shows you that when people think of .gov, when they think of government, they think of it from their perspective, right? And so they're interested in the things that are important to them, right? And so, uh, you know, having people have to know that, like, for a passport, you have to go to Department of State or for Social Security, you have to go to the, you know, IRS is, right? That's, that's a confusing thing. And so, we were going to try and build an experience that integrated all that and had like a single cohesive uh, viewpoint from the person's perspective um, of how to access government. And so so that was our we had a six month thing. Um, we built a prototype. You know, we kind of did a few things here and there to kind of show what was possible. Um, and then we were we were done. Uh, six months was all we had. And then we all had to go home. I stayed on to kind of continue the work a little bit. And then there was a second round of presidential innovation fellows that I worked a little bit with. But then when the healthcare.gov launched, so like a little bit after my fellowship, and when I had been working on my USA, I had met folks in the White House and the Office of Science and Technology Policy, in particular, uh, the US CTO, Todd Park, worked very closely with him. And so when healthcare.gov launched, I was fortunate to be able to say, hey, we could do something about this. It's a website. It may be complicated, but it, when you get down to it, it takes information off the internet, puts it somewhere and then spits it back out someplace else. So um, it can't be that complicated. Let's like, let's see if we can get some people together and go see if we can fix this thing. So would you say your time as a presidential innovation fellow was pivotal in your career? Yeah, absolutely. It was probably 
the most exciting well, I used to say it was the most exciting six months of my career, but now since I've been doing ad hoc and healthcare.gov, I've had a number of very exciting periods in my career. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I would say it was very pivotal. It was a really great opportunity for me to just understand government a little bit better from the inside, right? To be able to spend some time talking and learning from people on the inside about what their challenges are. And I think that's really invaluable experience, right? Just seeing it from that perspective is, is really, really important. Now, when you worked on healthcare.gov, you were, quote unquote, called the ad hoc team. Yeah. Is that how the name of ad hoc came to be? Yeah, that is how we chose the name for the company. When we went in, we were all a team that was kind of assembled from various different places. You know, all of us were one or two steps removed from folks in the White House who were charged with figuring out how do we fix healthcare.gov. And so so we came in and we were working with the government agency, uh, the Centers for Medicare Medicaid Services, CMS, and we were working with their contractors. And so we wanted to, first of all, we weren't White House employees, so we couldn't say we were from the White House. And also, it doesn't go over very well if you come in and say like I'm from the White House, right? Like it, it's not a good, that's not a good way to, uh, you know, collaboratively kind of thing. Depending who you talk to. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess generally the White House isn't known as coming in as like to help kind of thing. So we were definitely there to help. So we, you know, we just wanted to present ourselves as very much like open, there to help, non-threatening, collaborative, that kind of thing. And so we thought calling ourselves the ad hoc team would kind of distinguish us because we were kind of from the outside. But at the same time, it wouldn't really like throw up any red flags or cause anyone to be nervous about what we were there for kind of thing. So that effort went really well, I think really had an impact on helping healthcare.gov turn around and, and have a successful first year of open enrollment. So when we after that, we're looking to start a company, we talked about various different names. And we thought, well, we should just keep that kind of name the ad hoc name as we as we build a company. And we always called ourselves the ad hoc team. And so now we, we formalize it as like ad hoc LLC. So now it's, it's like official. The, the official <laughs> yeah, corporate version of it. The way that we twist it or explain it, because ad hoc isn't just on its face the most uh, reassuring kind of thing for someone that you're looking to for like, you know, partnership or long term partnership and helping, you know, helping you with your your problems kind of thing. So um, and I do believe this to be true. We really did build the team specifically for the problems that we faced. You know, the team that we had for healthcare.gov was one team because there were certain problems that we that we faced. And so like, as we found out what the problems were, we brought in more people who had specific expertise and experience with those kinds of problems, those technologies, those kinds of issues, right? I think we take the same approach when we build out digital services and working with government agencies, you know, we build the right team for the needs of the agency. We find the right kind of expertise to make sure everything gets delivered. The company grew rather largely since it was founded. What have you learned from that growth and what challenges arise from that when you go from a really small team to a growing one? Yeah, the company did grow very quickly. It's been a lot of fun, been very exciting. I think one of the things I've definitely learned is you have to pick what you're going to focus on. You can't handle everything at once when you're growing very quickly. And I think we were very lucky in that we focused on the right things to help scale the company out. But you do constantly have to be thinking about what are my immediate problems and what am I going to do next to kind of get to the next level. So scaling is really, really challenging in your hiring practices, in your management, and how you 
create your relationship with your customers and make sure that you're understanding what it is that they need and make sure that everyone on your team as they come in is on board with the way in which the values that your company has and and how it is that you interact with and uh, support your customers. Um, So those kinds of things are really, really important. I won't say we got everything right, and it's a very challenging kind of thing, but I think we've done a pretty good job of uh, of scaling those efforts up and and building a place that's a, a really... Um, exciting, challenging, uh, and also edifying place for people to work. And I think we've done a good job of establishing good relationships with our customers and empowering them basically to to do things that they weren't able to do before. Now you're doing some work with the VA. Are you able to tell me what that entails? Sure. Yeah. So we started working with VA back in 2014. Uh, as one of our first customers. And we worked very closely with VA's CTO at the time, Marina Martin. And one of the things that Marina was focused on was putting together actually very similar to the My USA kind of, you know, vision for a unified experience for, you know, anyone accessing government services. Marina's idea was let's do that, but just for veterans. If you were a user of VA services in 2013, 2014, you may remember that there were lots of different websites that you had to go to for various different things. They had different designs, they had different um, logins. So you often had to have multiple different credentials that you'd have to have usernames and passwords or you know different kinds of things. And it was confusing for veterans. We, we talked with a lot of veterans and it was very confusing how to navigate between those different things. And it was also, it was very broken up by the way that VA was organized as a, you know, as an organization. So if you needed something related to benefits, you had to go to the site that was maintained by the VBA, part of VA that deals with benefits. If you need healthcare, you had to go to the different site that was maintained by the part of VA that manages the healthcare part of it. But, you know, in talking to veterans, they don't think of it like that. They just think of VA as an organization that provides them a set of services. So we started working with VA in 2014. Um, We built a very simple prototype of a site that we called vets.gov. Veterans.gov actually was owned by the Department of Labor and they didn't want to give it up. So we had to go with vets.gov. That was the idea, right? Single sign-on, single design, single point of entry to all the various different services and just designed from the veterans' perspective. And so as we started building out that team, you know, we built a team of product managers who, you know, really um, figured out what were the the highest impact problems that we could solve for veterans and helped us prioritize and really identify what the things are, the challenges that are that veterans are having and how we could design an online experience that would help them. Um, We have a team of user researchers and designers that work with veterans, actually talk to them and interview them show them the things that we're thinking about building and get their feedback and just kind of incorporate all of that perspective from actual people who would be using the services into the design. And then we had an engineering team that would build out those things, build out the front end interfaces, but then also connect it back into VA's enterprise so that, you know, when you apply for something, all the information ends up, you know, in the system where someone can review it and approve it and have it flow back to you as an actual benefit. So um, so we started that in 2014. We started it as a subcontractor, you know, just working through another company. And then in 2016, we won a contract to work on that for three years with VA and really built out vets.gov into more and more services, got about a million veterans on it, integrated the single sign-on. And then VA was 
I believe they were happy with the work. <laughs> they were happy with so. the direction <laughs> of where it was going. So they decided in 2018 to transition and merge in the work on vets.gov to va.gov. And so the work that we did for vets.gov became the engine behind the new va.gov, which is if you go to va.gov now, it's I think a little different than most government agency websites. It looks more like what you would have if you went to a service provider like a bank or a cable company. It talks about the services that they offer, talks about how you can sign up for them as like the front and center thing. Um, And so that was, I think, VA's vision for it is, right, how can we be a um, service organization? How can we really present that to the veteran um, and make it clear that that's what we're here to do? And so uh, we were really excited that they made vets.gov a part of that. And so now we are va.gov. And so our contract ended with VA and the work came out in such a way that we had to partner with other companies. We ended up partnering with two different companies on the follow-on work. So we're, we're really excited to be continuing that work. One of the companies is Government CIO. So we're really excited that we get to work with them and continue to work with VA on uh, building services for, for veterans. Uh, our team loves working on this stuff. We love working with VA and we love the fact that we get to serve this community. And from my point of view, we cover VA all the time. So the healthcare.gov and the VA.gov, it's amazing that you've been involved in two high profile website issues that we hear about in government. That's probably the two that I I can only recall from the top of my head. So the fact that now that you have been involved in the veteran side, it's amazing. I've, I've been covering USDS, all the product management efforts that are underway that they're implementing in VA. That's really cool that you got to be one of the first in there. Thanks. Our team loves it. Go VA. Yeah. (laughs) So being a digital service provider and, you know, your background is software engineering, I would assume it's pretty inherent that you guys operate with an agile framework. How do you see agile or DevOps impacting government? So agile and DevOps, I think, are two things that are really important parts of how software these days is developed or needs in order to be developed and managed efficiently. I guess what I mean is as there's been a lot of innovations that have taken place, a lot of changes that have taken place in terms of how we develop software and, you know, particularly with the web, how software is available to people. And so people have expectations. You know, they go to Amazon, they go to Google, they go to Facebook. Those sites are never down. You know, they're rapidly changing. You know, if bugs happen in Google, you know, they get fixed very fast. Same thing with Amazon, Facebook, right? So they've developed all these things in response to the fact that they need to be able to adapt and change at a rapid, rapid pace, right? And so that's why I think Agile and DevOps are so important to government. It's because the expectations that people have for the services that they use, whether it's like consumer internet stuff, social media, or it's you know banks or credit cards or things like that, they just expect these things to work and government has to meet those expectations. And so I think government has to adopt the practices that support those kinds of that level of service. So government needs to be able to adapt and change to people's expectations, incorporate new designs or new technologies as these things come out. So you need an agile framework that allows you to adapt to change as you learn new things, as you learn about what people need. DevOps is the same thing. You know, you need to be able to deploy things. If you have a bug, you need to be able to fix it and deploy it in minutes or hours, not 
days or weeks as we used to think about things, right? And so you need an automated pipeline. You need a feedback loop so that your developers know what's going on in operations and so that you can really rapidly get changes out into production. You need to be able to scale automatically. You have government websites that you know, healthcare.gov gets all of its traffic in about a month and a half, right? That's the open enrollment period. It's a very short window of time. And the rest of the time, it doesn't need as much capacity because it's not being used anywhere, like orders of magnitude less in the, you know, the off season, so to speak. So in the old days, you'd buy the servers that you thought you needed for the capacity that you would have at your peak, right? Because that's the only way you would do it. Now we have the cloud and you can automate and spin up and spin down right? You can say, I need more servers here, less servers at other times. And so you need a way to automatically do that and meet the demand and keep the service running efficiently. So yeah, I think all these things are really, really important because they help government meet the expectations that people have for the services it provides. So speaking of change, where do you see the future of IT contracting or technology in government? That's a great question. I think one of the things that we we really look at and we've seen a lot of the changes is a traditional contract is kind of a thing where, you know, there's a list of requirements and your job as the vendor is to just kind of work work your way through that list, work your way down the list, you know, start checking off items. And that leads to a lot of the situations where, you know, you have a system and you finish working on your list of things and you find out it doesn't actually do the things that people need it to do, right? At whatever point you came up with that list, either things changed or you didn't have enough information, but you didn't really, if you created a long, long list at one point and then you procured someone's services to go implement that, it doesn't leave a lot of room for learning through the course of that, uh, you know, as you're developing something and as you're rolling things out and people are starting to use it. So one of the things that I think is really neat to see is we're starting to see contracts that move away from that laundry list of requirements and instead focus on what are the outcomes that we're looking to to get out of this, right? We're looking to enroll a number of people in healthcare. We're looking to create a unified experience that we can show certain metrics that we're improving service across a number of different, I guess, like axes or whatever, to the people that are using these things. So I think you're seeing a big shift. We are seeing a big shift from those kinds of things. And so all the disciplines that come along with that, one of the things that we have really invested a lot in is product management. And so product management is a really key thing for taking a product, a digital product like a healthcare.gov or a va.gov, building the right information inputs, right? So getting the input from veterans, from the site that's running, from users using the site, all those kinds of information, synthesizing that into what are the things that we can do that are going to be the most impactful for the people that we're serving, and then focusing our resources on those highest value things. And sometimes that's designing a new experience, sometimes that's fixing a bug, sometimes that's re-engineering a process on the back end. There's just all different things that it points to. But I think that's a real shift in mindset for government. And we're starting to see that, you know, in a lot of the different customers that we engage with, um, you know, VA and CMS uh, is where we do most of our work. Uh, But we certainly see it in other agencies as well. Or we've, you know, we've heard about it in other agencies. But I think that's going to be a really important thing um, that's going to, you know, shift in terms of how government approaches things. And sort of government coming to embracing its, uh, I would say, like ownership of these services and understanding the things that come with owning a service that needs to adapt and change over time. It's not something 
that has a start point and an end point. You get to the end point and it's just out there and it's just working and does its thing, right? It's it's constantly needs to be reevaluated and make sure that it's serving the needs, meeting the needs of the people that, that are using it and then possibly adapted and changed. So with the new technology, it's there's so many other factors that come into play. It's not just the technology itself. There's recruitment, the workforce, tooling the workforce, and then there's the methodologies such as agile and product management that are applied to that kind of on the back end a little bit. So it's a little bit of interesting aspect to think of it that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the most important thing, I mean, if, if I had to pick one to kind of, you know, put the, the cart before the horse, so to speak, or the opposite of that, putting the horse before the cart, I really think it, it starts with understanding what are the things that people need, right? What are the things that are really most pressing to them? Everything else flows out of that, right? The technology should be, oh, I have a problem that I need to solve. Here's a technology that can do that. Not, here's a technology, what applications can I make out of this technology? I, I, I see that a lot and you see that a lot with a lot of the technologies that are very popular nowadays as like buzzwordy kinds of things, I think in a lot of cases, they're solutions in search of a problem. They're not really the right solution, or I don't even know if we necessarily have this problem, right? You really need to start with what are the problems that you have and find the right technology. And most cases, the technology that you need already exists and has been in use by someone else. It's there, right? It's, it's not the kind of thing that you need a brand new technology to solve most of the time has been my experience. So what is next for you? I'm not assuming you're going to j- jump ship from ad hoc in the next two minutes, but no. what projects do you foresee wanting to tackle or what kinds of initiatives do you foresee ad hoc wanting to get involved in? So my personal goals with ad hoc, I've had a great time over the last five years. And I, if we can keep doing it, let's keep doing it. We've had a really amazing time working with CMS and VA on helping them build out these digital services. I think it's been one of the things that I really like about it is it's challenging, you know, from a technical perspective, you get to use your technical skills, whether that's in product management, design, UX, research, or engineering, you get to apply those to really impactful problems, right? And so not only do you get work that's exciting and challenging, but you see the impact that that has. You see on the other end, the veterans that are able to sign up for things and get access to services more easily. You see the people getting access to healthcare in some cases for the first time. And that's really great. And I I really think that's, you know, the combination of helping government run more efficiently and be more effective in serving people um, and seeing the impact that that has is super exciting to me. And I frankly, you know, my, my goal with ad hoc is that we do that as much as, pros- as much as possible and for as many government agencies as possible. So I'm hoping that we can build a company that can scale out to help the federal government in all of its areas where it does this. This is hard. I will say this is very hard. It's hard to do from my personal experience. But I get very excited looking at some of the things that, I mean, I I still get very excited about CMS and VA, and I love working with them. But I also see other things, Department of Education. so many other agencies. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of stuff. So (laughs) if we can help in any other ways, that's something that I think we would really love, our team would really love, and that's, that's our goal with it. So... Yeah, that's my hope for us in the future is that we can just have more impact and and help government run more efficiently. Well, great. Well, thank you. This was a great perspective, and I'm really glad to have learned more about 
the healthcare.gov and the va.gov relaunch that's amazing and i'm looking forward to seeing what else ad hoc is going to tackle next thanks so much i really appreciate uh, you having me on the show govcast is a production of government cio media and research for more podcasts head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. GovCast is produced and hosted by Amy Kluber. Edited by Chris Edwards. Theme music provided by Big Hoax. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com. Governmentcio.com.